You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Well, Father, thank you for that truth that the cross was indeed enough. There's nothing more that needs to be added to it. Father, your work is finished. Every sin accounted for, every sin atoned for. Father, thank you for that sacrifice. May that never grow old to us, but we're refreshed in our hearts today. Father, I pray that you would open every eye to see, ear to hear, and heart to respond what you would say to your church today. Father, whatever we have been coming with from this week, whatever we're bringing in here, the anxieties or the cares or the concerns, Father, may they be cast at the foot of that same cross today, casting our anxiety on you because you care for us and humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord, under your mighty word that has been sung, that has been exhorted, that will now be preached by your grace. Father, find a people that are hungry to know you more today, that are hungry to be changed by you today. I pray not one person would leave here the same as when they came in, that each of us would leave here saying, I, I, I can't go back to the way I was, and it's not just I can't go back, I don't want to go back. I don't want to be that person anymore. So Father, search our hearts today. Let every word that is spoken now, I pray to be faithful to your word, faithful to your text. These words be filled with power and might and the spirit of the Lord because we know, Father, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is always freedom. In Jesus' mighty name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Harvest Niagara. It is so good to be back here with you again. And uh, it's been about a year since I was last here, and, and God's been at work. And uh, before we dive into God's word here, and I give you a little update on what's going on in our nation's capital, our ushers are coming forward now with Bibles. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, slide your hand up, because we want to put one in front of you uh, as you track with us today, because I believe God has something to say to every single person here. And so if you do not have a Bible at home, please keep that as our gift, as a way of saying thank you uh, and for coming to worship with us today, but also so that you can continue to dive in to God's word on your own, okay? Well, as I said, things are stirring in our nation's capital. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to give you a little pick of a little snapshot of some of this that's happening. So you see on the screen here, this is a, this is a picture of what happened on our uh, last vision night, okay? And it should be coming up shortly, but let me tell you in case it doesn't, there's about 60 people in this picture. There you go. And uh, they have been coming. God is God's amazing. He has been stirring hearts from people who literally like almost an hour away from both sides of Ottawa, okay? And that's not even to mention uh, the people from Quebec that are now joining the core group as well, okay? God is moving, and, and thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you for uh, your support. They're, they're much needed and much appreciated. And now we've got, by God's grace, our core group training has started. We just finished our, another session on 
doctrine we went through together and a men's discipleship group is now uh, going on and just guys on their faces on the floor crying out to the Lord to see him do what only he can do. Does it get any better than that on this side of eternity? Amen? That's right. Amen. So our next vision night is July 22nd, coming up in a few weeks from now. Please pray for that. The Lord would stir many, many hearts, and Lord willing, it'll be our last vision night um, before our launch, Lord willing, in the fall. And so if you want to find out how you can continue to pray, go onto our website, harvestottawa.ca, and under there, there's a link there that says partner. And so click on that, and it'll give you eight ways to pray for Harvest Ottawa. I'm constantly updating that, and so those are the most recent requests that we have, and we would love uh, to know that you're praying for us, and Lord willing, we'll forward in the coming months to more updates as the Lord continues to move. So I wanted to share that with you, but we also want to share from God's word, right? That's why we're here, to hear from him. And so Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 is our text for today. And the title of this morning's message is, uh, This Changes My Purpose. This Changes my purpose. Philippians 3 verses 12 to 14. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Is this, um, what's the purpose for your life? I mean, I mean, why do you exist? Why do I? Why are you here? You know, by far, that is the single greatest question that I get in my office in terms of counseling. Why am I here? What's my purpose? I mean, can you honestly say, church, that you can answer that question and know that you're right? And if you say yes, then I ask you, how do you know? I mean, how do you know that the purpose that you were created for and intended to live is the one you're actually living? It's a big question. You see, and this is one of the biggest questions that philosophers have wrestled with over the centuries and the one which we struggle with the most today. There are literally billions of people struggling and lost right now because this question remains unanswered in their lives and they're trying desperately to find the answer in ways that will never lead them there. I mean, I love Niagara Falls. You guys live in one of the most beautiful places in the province besides Ottawa. And you know what? Like, yeah, that's right. But, you know, you walk down Main Street there, you know, where the Hard Rock Cafe is and, and you know, the, the Rainforest Cafe. And what do you see? Shows and lights and noise and, and pleasure, 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 pleasure. People trying to answer the question, literally entertaining themselves to death to try and find it. And all these ways that won't lead them there. And why? Why won't these ways lead them? Why will they always call up short in their lives? Because here's the reality. There's only one answer to the question. And there's only one place where you find it. That's it. Can't be found anywhere else. You see, and here in this text, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, he gives us the answer. What a loving God that he tells us the answer. He tells us it. And he gives two life-changing truths that come from how this answer changes how we live out the only purpose that we were intended to have, the only one. Let's read Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. It says this, straining toward the goal. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, love this, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, when my purpose changes, I will pursue Christ's image. When my purpose changes, I will pursue Christ's image. Look at verse 12. Paul says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And see there that this, the this at the start there, here Paul is speaking of the complete or perfect sanctification in Jesus Christ, which he had speak, been speaking of in the previous 11 verses of chapter three. You just skip up a little bit. That's what he's unpacking in the first 11 verses there. And he was saying, he's exhorting the Philippi church. He said, you know what? This is, this is the sole purpose for my life. And subsequently, it's the sole purpose for our lives as believers as well. And some of you may be saying, well, sanctification, that's like a huge word. Yeah, it is. So let's break it down. You'll see a definition of this. I love how John Piper puts this. You'll see it on the screen. He says this. He says, sanctification is the gradual process of our becoming holy. The gradual process. Process, not a one-time thing, the gradual process of our becoming holy. Literally, taking on the image of Jesus Christ more and more. Christ in me, holiness, the gradual process, okay? All right, so if we could do, stop there for a second and do some kingdom mathematics, it's like this. Complete or perfect sanctification equals complete or perfect Christ-likeness. Okay, complete sanctification, perfect sanctification is complete or perfect Christ-likeness. Having the image of God completed in us with no sin. How amazing is that? Okay, just so we can try to get on the same page here. How many of us would say they've arrived there? Sweet, we're all on the same page. This is great. This is great. See, Paul wants the church in Philippi to know he's not a perfect Christian. He was being accused of that. What are you saying? You know, you're pressing on to make it your own. It's your soul. Are you saying you're not a sinner anymore? Are you saying you're not a sinner? No, no, no. He's saying he's not a perfect Christian, and he didn't want to give them the idea he was no longer a sinner. And instead, see what he shows here in this first part of verse 12? He shows his dissatisfaction in where he is in his walk with the Lord as his flesh, get this, was still waging war with sinful desires against Christ's image being developed in him, even though his desire was to be more like Christ. The flesh is waging war with the spirit. Those desires, the desires of God, desires of the flesh competing. And look what he says in the back, the second part of verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, love this, but I press on to make it my own. The, the Greek word there for press on literally means to move swiftly to reach the goal. Move swiftly. And it's the picture, you'll see it on the screen. It's the picture of a sprinter straining with energy, passion, and aggressive action. Can you just picture that going on? This is what Paul is saying. I press on to make it my own. And Paul is pursuing sanctification into the image of Christ with all of his energy, passion, and strength that the Lord gave him to do so. Let me ask you a question. Are you all in like this? Am I? Is this our passionate pursuit right here? 
See, there was no cost too high and there was no greater pursuit that Paul could have. And here's why, here's why. Look at the back half of verse 12, the very end. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why, why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's staggering. That's the gospel. That is beautiful. And Paul states that because of receiving what Christ has done for him in granting him salvation by coming to earth and dying on the cross for his sins, he can now go hard. He can now go hard all in in the Lord's strength to pursue the image of Christ in his life by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of him. He is wholly alive by the power of the Holy Spirit within him. And this, loved ones, is the beautiful truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it so beautifully. It says this, For our sake, he being God, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin. Just let that hang for a second. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, perfectly sinless, yet becoming sin, why? So that, there's the word there, in, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Are you kidding me? We need to be clear about one thing here. Paul is not working for his salvation. He says, I press on, I'm straining forward. He's not working for his salvation, but now because of what we just read, Jesus Christ becoming sin for us, he is now working out his salvation by the strength that God provided. You see see what happened here? The inner regeneration he received through Jesus Christ was now leading his transformation into the image of Christ. The inner regeneration he had received is now leading his transformation into the image of Christ. His purpose had now changed to the very purpose that he and subsequently all of us were created for. Here it is. Here's the answer to the question. To be conformed to the image of Christ. This is the answer to the question. The more we are like Christ the greater God's glory is seen. This is our purpose. This is the answer. And it's found nowhere else but in him. And so in essence, what Paul is saying here is, I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be. I haven't obtained it, but by God's grace, I'm pressing in to pursue the image of Christ in my life. And this same holy, can you feel the tension? This same holy dissatisfaction in where we are in our pursuit of Christ is absolutely crucial in our lives. Why? Why do we have to live with a holy dissatisfaction of where we are in our pursuit of Christ? Because here's the reality. We only continue to pursue something. Hear me, we only continue to pursue something when we are not satisfied with how much of it we have. We only continue to pursue something when we are not satisfied with how much of it we have. When you're really hungry, how often do you go to the fridge? When you're not hungry, how often do you go? 
We only continue to pursue something when we are not satisfied with how much of it we have. And in speaking of our pursuit of Christ, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, I, I commend that book to you, says this. You see the quote on the screen. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires for him not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy, infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, you see, our pursuit of Christ's image in us must first begin with the sense of honesty of where we're at and a dissatisfaction of where we are or we will cease to pursue it because we are far too easily pleased. I got enough of God you know what, I'll, I'll get back to God later. I want to pursue my job. I got, I got enough. I got to pursue a spouse. I got enough of this. I got to pursue my kid. We're far too easily pleased. So how about you? How about me? What is the greatest pursuit that you are pressing on towards right now? You know, as I encouraged you earlier, uh, we need your prayers in Ottawa, a precious core group seeing the church grow and, and seeing it, Lord willing, launch this fall, but I need your prayers. In a spirit of vulnerability, I need your prayers. This is a fight in my life literally every day because instead of pressing on from the purpose for which I was created to pursue Christ's image in my life, I so often want to press on and pursue a bigger core group. And I want to press on and pursue our facility and more resources, and our office space. Amen? It's a fight every day. The fight of the flesh versus the fight of the spirit. And so what is it for you? Maybe for some of us here, we're pursuing our greatest pursuit right now is a job or, the, or, or, or success or if I could just get to the next rung on the corporate ladder, then I'll pursue more of Christ. But I gotta get this done first. Or maybe, maybe it's uh, with our kids, parents. Maybe we're just like, hey, 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 you know what? As my parent, if my kids are, are behaving or if they have a certain GPA, students, oh, if I have a certain GPA, I'm gonna pursue that. And then I'll fill God in later. Or, or parents, maybe we say, if my kids get into the right schools or if they just behave and, and we see these things happen we'll pursue that for, listen 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 you know the greatest thing parents that your children need from you spouses you know the greatest thing that your spouse needs from you employees do you know what the greatest thing is that your fellow co-workers need from you you know what the greatest thing the people of harvest bible chapel ottawa need from me our personal holiness in jesus christ hands down Why? Because everything else flows out of that. Some of you are going into workplaces tomorrow that are really, really hard to be in. The greatest thing your coworkers need from you is personal holiness in Jesus Christ and watch what God does. It may not look like what you think it will. It may not be how you think it will be, but watch what the Lord does. 
as we pursue him as our greatest affection. And maybe for some of us, it's entertainment or finances or, or things. I mean, what is it? And how does your pursuit of Christ's image compare to that? And some of you may be saying, well, hey, hey you know what? I want to pursue Christ's image in my life. I what does this look like? Well, here's four things to get us started today. Four ways to pursue the image of Christ in our lives. Number one, through his word. Number one, through his word. John 17, just 17, Jesus prays. He says, sanctify them, his people, in the truth sanctify, growing in Christ's image in our lives, in Christ's likeness, in the truth. Why? Because his word is truth. I love how Donald Whitney put this. He says this, little input of God's word results in little resemblance of God's son. Let me just repeat that because you're probably going to want to write it down. Little input of God's word results in little resemblance of God's son. Why? Because this isn't just a book. It's alive. It is living. It is active. And as we open it up, we, every day we come face to face with the creator of the universe. And as it gets in us, we become living and active and are transformed and sanctified and changed more into the image of Jesus Christ. Number one, through his word. Number two, four ways to pursue the image of Christ. Number one, through his word. Number two, through prayer. Through prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Today's terms, it says, pray and don't stop. Keep praying. And when he's not talking, and we're not talking about praying for, oh, Lord, give me more stuff. Or, Lord, I need this job. Okay, God cares about those requests, right? Right? But when's the last time we prayed more of you and less of me as our first pursuit? You become greater, I become less because I know I'm not even worthy to untie your sandal. Through his word, four ways to pursue the image of Christ, through his prayer, number three, through the church. Through the church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not forsaking to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as you see the day. What day is he talking about? The same day Paul's gonna talk about in a moment here. The day approaching, the day of Jesus Christ's return. All the more. And you see, I hear this a lot in Ottawa. Um, pray for our nation's capital. It's very, it's hard ground, white ground, but hard. Um, and a lot of people have said, well, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. And to that, finally, I just got to the point where I said, that's impossible. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because the church is Jesus' greatest passion. It's his bride. I will do anything by God's grace for my wife. Lay my life down for her, and he laid his life down for his bride. It's precious to him. And embracing Jesus Christ means embracing his church. Not just slipping in and slipping out on Sunday morning and putting in our time. Being involved in the community. To see it as Ephesians 4, 15, and 16 say. To see it built up as each 
member does his part by the power of the Spirit. And, and I have to say this, maybe some of us are here and if you're like me, you've been hurt in the church in the past. And I want to say this to you. The church is Jesus Christ's plan for sanctification of his people in this world. And I'm sorry, and I don't know what happened, but we are sinners saved by grace, and we're moving forward together in the power of the Spirit. But I will say this, don't ever give up on God's church. Don't ever give up on God's people. He promises to bless it and change us more to be like him, our greatest prize in the process. Lastly, four ways to pursue Christ's image in our lives. Number one, through his word. Number two, through prayer. Number three, through his church. And lastly, through repentance. Through repentance. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. He doesn't just idly stand by. He actively opposes pride. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so many of us just let our pride take over so subtly, decision, decision after decision, and we don't get to the place where we get before our God and say, Lord, more of you, less of me. I repent. I repent. I am dependent, and we, hum- we don't humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord, and the Lord promises to bless it every time if we do. And there's so much freedom. We say, oh, that'll be so hard to get there. Listen, it may be tough to get there, but it is the place where we have the most freedom. There's so much freedom in repentance. So much freedom. The very freedom that Christ has set us free to walk in. And you see, loved ones, becoming like Christ, it only happens by looking to Christ. And yet so many Christians, myself included, have fallen into the trap of thinking that pursuing the image of Christ in our lives is somehow a secondary thing. And yet the single biggest thing that we fail to realize is that pursuing anything else but Christ's image in our lives is ultimately saying to God that we don't believe that the greatest pursuit we could ever have is him. I fall into that so much so much and here's the reality why why is he our greatest prize because there's nothing else worth living for there really isn't and you say why because there's nothing else that will last he's it your job's not going to last your family's not going to last your health's not going to last your bank account's not going to last What will you have then if that was the purpose for which you were living for? What will I have? And instead of pressing on with passion to make it our own, we become content with the mud pies of this world and our lives become characterized by apathy, complacency, and passivity in our walk with Christ and we miss out on or minimize the very purpose for which we were created. If we're feeling apathetic in our faith, let's take a gut check. How's my pursuit of Christ? And yet... 
through the saving and sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ. God gave us what we don't deserve and has made a way for us to pursue him in being changed into his image through the supernatural strength that he promises to supply to see his good work brought to completion. What an awesome savior that he doesn't leave us alone. Amen? He promises to supply everything because this is his greatest desire for us. It's why we were created. He's like, I got you. Let's go. Press in. Love Philippians 1.6. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. And I, Paul says, am sure. See the confidence there? I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you, here's the promise, will bring it to completion. And what? Where? When? On the day. There it is again. The day of Jesus Christ. What a promise. What a savior. And his supernatural work must come from working it out in his supernatural strength. Our pursuit of Christ must come from our pursuit in Christ. It can't happen otherwise. We can't manufacture it on our own. We can't do it without him and we will fail every time we try to. It's not done in his power. Holy alive through his spirit. And this should throw us desperately upon him in humility and dependence because here's the reality, church. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. When my purpose changes, I will stop pursuing the mud pies of the world and will pursue Christ's image And as we begin to pursue his image, last point for today, we will prize Christ's presence. We will prize Christ's presence. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says this. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See there in verse 13 where Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Two, two key things he tells us to focus on here. Number one, forget. Forget. Write that down. Forget. He's telling us to forget what lies behind. Now what's he talking about? What are we supposed to forget? There's two things. Number one Paul's talking about here is our achievements our achievements. Paul refuses to dwell on past successes and take glory for past achievements that he's had since becoming a follower of Christ. Because, you notice this? Do you notice this? When we start to want to take the glory for stuff, the temptation would be, as it is for you and me today, that in doing this, our dependency shifts. When we start to take glory in past achievements and not put them to death, our dependency shifts from being upon Christ to be putting on ourselves. Well, I did that really. We were praying this in the stairwell right now. Lord, help us not to rest on the success of the first service. It's so easy to do. How often do we walk in church and say, oh, I've, I've led a Harvest Kids class before. I'm good. Really? Our God is a God of new things. He doesn't change, but he loves to show his glory to his people afresh. Paul knew that the sinful desires of his flesh would always want to put himself on the altar of glory 
and not the Lord. Because here's the sobering reality that we need to understand. Our flesh's default is pride always before humility. That's the default of our flesh. Pride before humility. Me before God. So the first thing Paul tells us to forget is achievements. The second thing he tells us to forget, and you notice this, forgetting what lies behind or past sins and failures. Forget the past sins and failures. See, Paul knew that even though he had surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, he was still a sinner and had sinned or failed in the past since coming to Christ. However, just like the successes, he refused to dwell on and be distracted by those past failures. Otherwise, they would debilitate his present and future efforts to continue to pursue Christ's image in his life. Dwelling on achievement or dwelling on past sins or failures debilitates our pursuit of Christ. And you see the second thing Paul tells us to do there? First one, he says, forget. Second thing he says there, forgetting what lies behind and what? Straining forward to what lies ahead. Move forward. There's the second thing. Forget and now move forward. Again, Paul uses the picture of the racer going flat out to the finish line, straining, stretching, reaching out for what Christ has ahead for him without being distracted. And I'm, this hit me afresh this week, loved ones. It hit me afresh this week. There are so many people so many people, including followers of Christ, who do not move forward because they cannot let go of the past, whether in success or failure. They won't let the past die, and therefore the past is not letting them live. And I wonder how many of us here are being crippled in our pursuit of Christ because we're hanging on to past successes that have deceived us into prideful thinking that our own strength and abilities are enough and we've lost our humility before God and our dependency upon him. You say, well, wait a second. No, 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 I pray, I pray that all the time. I pray for greater... Pe Careful. The shift is subtle. Pride works very subtly. Here's a litmus. When's the last time you asked the Lord for greater humility and dependency upon him? Nothing else, just that. When is that? And careful how you answer. You say, okay, I'm going to do that when I get home today. But careful, careful, because he'll take you up on it. Because it's what he wants for you. And it'll be hard to get there, but there is no better place to be. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Our greatest strength, the point of our greatest strength, comes from the point of our greatest weakness. If anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And I wonder this, on the flip side of that, so that's the achievements, Here's the other part Paul's talking about. I wonder how many of us are being crippled in pursuing Christ because we're hanging on to past sin or failure or hurt and sitting under condemnation from them. Oh, I have a fear of failing again. I'm not going to step out and to pursue what God's calling me to do. I, I remember the last time I tried that. I just got this fear of man going on and I, I can't stand the fact of what are people going to think of me and, and I get paralyzed. You're hanging on to it, hanging on to it, hanging on to it. 
Or maybe some of us are hanging on to discouragement here, saying, I've tried to pursue Christ, but it's so hard to get in the Word. I find myself falling asleep during prayer. I, felt like I just get so discouraged all the time. Or maybe for some of us, it's, I can't escape the sinful pattern. Or I can't forget that sin that I did in the past and, and the, how I hurt my family and how it hurt me and the people I care about. And we're hanging on to it. And you know, again, in the spirit of vulnerability, again, as we get ready to launch, Lord willing, this fall, Harvest Ottawa, and your pastor can um, tell of his experience with this in launching this church, um, the attack of the enemy just gets ramped, ramped up on my family, on my wife, on me, relentlessly. You think you're going to have any credibility whatsoever. Don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember those people that you hurt? You think anyone's going to listen to you? You can't even control your kids. You lose your temper. You can't even go after these people in this place. This place is too far gone. What do you think you have to offer? Don't you remember that fear of failure that you have? That every single time that I just push that button, you're going to go back there again? And the fear of man, and it's going to cripple you? What makes you think that God can even use you? You are a mess. Sound familiar to anybody? Relentless. And then the glorious gospel. Our only hope allows us to stand in the face of that and say, yeah, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. But isn't it amazing what God's grace does? Isn't it amazing what God's grace does. I'm a son of the King of Kings. I'm a son of the Lord of Lords. And my identity is in who he says I am. So in your face, Satan. A.W. Tozer says it this way. Regret for a sinful past will remain until we truly believe that for us in Christ, that sinful past no longer exists. The man in Christ has only Christ's past and that is perfect and acceptable to God. Romans 8, 1, you'll see it on the screen. Live in this truth today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In your face, Satan. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom Christ set us free. Forget what lies behind. That's been swallowed up with Christ. 
Jesus Christ came and died for you and I on that cross and paid the penalty for all these sins that we've done in the past and the ones that will come in the future so that you and I no longer have to live with the condemning sting of regret or the prideful arrogance of self-dependence and can now in faith live out the only purpose for which we were made for. Isn't that awesome? Which is to what? What's the purpose? Look at verse 14. Here it is, and we close with this. I press on, Paul says, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the goal there he's talking about? Christ-likeness, sanctification, the image of God in us here on earth, pursuing the image and presence of Christ with every ounce of strength that he provides. And the prize, what's the prize? The prize of the upward call? Here's the prize. When God would call Paul home to be united with him in his presence in glory for eternity. What a prize. In that moment, right there, he would have the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest peace, and see face to face the greatest purpose which he was created. And he will hear those beautiful words spoken by our Savior that say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, the goal gave the picture of what was to come and the prize completed the picture. No pursuit could be greater and nothing else can even come close to this. And there, loved ones, is a day coming very soon when Christ will call us home. We are now July 3rd, 2016. You realize this? We are the closest we've ever been in human history to the return of Jesus Christ right now, this moment. He's an hour sooner coming than when you walked in here. Time is short. And I exhort you, loved ones, with everything in me to live in the light of that day. Live in the light of that day and let it fuel you to live, not with apathy, complacency, and in condemnation from sin, but with a God-given humility and dependency, urgency, and passion to run in the strength of Jesus Christ and to embrace the only purpose for which you and I were created for in pursuing his image and prizing his presence. Run that you may obtain it. Run that you may obtain it. Because I guarantee you one thing, one thing, on that day, the day of your upward call, you will regret nothing about this pursuit or the sacrifices you have made or what you needed to endure. In his strength, you will regret nothing. And we will stand in the presence of our greatest prize, our precious savior, Jesus Christ, and we will say you were worth it all. Let's pray.
Father, what truth, what hope, what grace, what love. Father, I pray that as your spirit is at work now, you would be sealing this word in our hearts, that we would feel encouraged, we would feel strengthened, we feel convicted right now. And even now, as your spirit is moving, Lord, reveal those areas in my heart, in our hearts, where we're pursuing the mud pies of the world. Things that will not satisfy because they cannot satisfy. They will not endure. They have nothing for us. When infinite joy is offered to us in this very moment, Lord, I pray for those who've never confessed you as their Lord and Savior that today they'd say, I'm through wasting my life. I'm through pursuing the mud pies of this world. I'm going to start walking by the grace and strength of Jesus Christ to the only purpose for which I was created for. May today be the day of their salvation in you and as they confess you as their Savior. And for those, Lord, of us here who are discouraged in our faith, who may be living apathetically and complacently or, or just discouraged and, and feeling con- un- sitting under condemnation from the enemy, today's a new day in Christ. It's a new day in Christ. And I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, there would be freedom afresh found at the cross today. That, Lord, as we sing this last song, that it would be an anthem of our heart Father, not just words on a song slide, but Lord, the very words of God written on our heart that you are worth it all. I let go. I let go of all I have just to have all of you. No cost too high, no sacrifice too great because you are worth it all. In Jesus' name.